If you're there, say amen. 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 Well, I'm looking forward to diving into what the Lord has in store for us here in Matthew, continuing on verse by verse in the Gospel of Matthew. We've made it to chapter number 2. And in Matthew chapter 2 is recorded the familiar account of the wise men who came from the Far East, and they came all the way to Jerusalem seeking after the one who was known as the king of the Jews. And they didn't didn't know exactly where this newborn king would be, and so that's why they came to Jerusalem. All they knew, though, as they traveled looking for this king, is that a star had appeared to them in the sky that pointed them and signaled to them that this king, who had long been foretold was coming, had indeed come. And so they made this long journey in search for the king. I heard about a family who was driving along the road one day on the way to a Christmas get-together. There was a mom and dad and and some little kids, and the five-year-old son, as they drove past the Christian church, asked his mom about the manger scene that was out front of the church and what that was all about. Mom told her boy, she said something along the lines of, well, that's Mary, and and that's Joseph, and, and that's baby Jesus right there in the manger. They kept driving along the road, and then they drove past the Mormon church. When they drove in front of the Mormon church, there were in front of, there was in front of the Mormon church a, a display of the wise men seeking, seeking for this newborn king from the east. And the little boy saw these strange characters out in front of that church, and he asked his mom again, and what is that all about right there? And the mom looked at him, and they said, well, those are the wise men, and they're looking for baby Jesus. The little boy thought about it for a minute, and he said, well, they're not going to find him there. They're over at the Christian church. Now, if you're a Mormon, I'm sorry, okay? It's just a joke, kind of. But anyways, um, well, still today there are many people who are looking for Jesus. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. they look religion, trying to find Jesus. I'll say, sometimes out of ten, you won't find him there. Look in relationships, they'll look, uh, they'll look to many other things. And I've heard have people look to nature in search of the peace that only Jesus can bring. A lot of people looking, they would say so, looking for Jesus today. But just like God placed a star in the sky to guide the wise men to Jesus, I believe that God still shines the light of His truth and guide people right to where Jesus is. I want you to look in your notes if you have it with you there. That's the Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. It's what the Bible says. It says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. This Today, we don't have to look to the sky to find out where Jesus is. All we have to do is look to the scriptures. Because the Bible tells us everything we need to know about Jesus Christ and where we should find him. And I'm thankful that God has given us something even more certain than signs and wonders and stars in the sky. He's given us a more sure word of prophecy. And this is where we find out where Jesus is. And I want you to understand this this morning. Jesus is not trying to hide from you. He wants you to know who he is and he wants you to know exactly where to find him. And that's why he has given us his word. And so as we turn to the Bible today, we're going to discover what the Bible has to teach us about finding Jesus Christ. And I love what the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. It tells us that God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the face of the earth. By the way, what the Bible tells us there means that all of us are the same race. We're one blood. 
all made of the same stuff. I love that. But he's made of one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth. Why? That they should seek the Lord and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You may have come in here today feeling like you are very far from God. But the Bible says that God made you, and he made you so that you could come to find Jesus. And he's not, he's not very far away from you. You may feel like you're far away from him, but he's not far away from you. And boy, the Bible has some wonderful things to teach us here from the example of the wise men. And so the star of Bethlehem, shown for those wise men, it's still shining today. It's shown for all people to see. And, and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a light that is still shining for anyone to see who would be willing to look to it. It's a thing. The light of the gospel, and you think about this, the star that shone that those wise men saw, do you think they had special eyes that only they could see it? I don't think so. I think that they saw it because they were looking for it. The truth is, the star that shone in the sky to reveal the birth of Jesus Christ into this world... That star was available for all people to see, but not all people responded to it the same way. As we look at this account in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to notice how different people responded to the light of, light of Jesus Christ that began to shine that day. I wonder, as we get into this study, how are you going to respond to it? You know that this story is familiar. I've heard it, many of us, for decades, told over and over and over again. Still, you're going to choose how you're going to respond to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And I wonder what your response will be. As we look at these characters in this story, we're going to notice three ways you can respond to the light of Jesus. Now, before we dive into this, why don't we bow our heads together? Let's pray. I want to encourage you as you're sitting there, will you pray and ask God to speak to your heart? You pray for someone else in this room, asking God to speak to them too. Let's take a minute to pray together and ask God to bless our time in his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time that we, that we have to spend in your word. And God, I pray for liberty. I pray for power to be able to communicate the truth of your word that you have convinced my heart of as I've studied it this week. Lord, I pray the words that are presented are yours and not mine. The thoughts that are presented are yours and not mine. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the words communicated and that you would minister directly directly into the heart and life of every person that's in here today. And uh, there are people in here who don't truly know you as their Savior. Whether they have understood that or not, I pray that today you'd make it clear that today would be the day that they follow the light of Christ to Jesus and trust you as their Savior. For those of us who know you as Savior, it's so easy for us to get our eyes off of what it's all about. And I pray that you would convict our hearts and turn us right in the, back in the right direction as we hear this truth presented I pray, God, that you would bless it as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, there are three ways that you can respond to the star of Bethlehem. Or we could say it this way, three ways that you can respond to the light of Jesus Christ that began to shine on the day that Jesus Christ was born. The first way I want you to notice is this. You can choose to reject it. The first way you can respond. You can reject it. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Let's read a couple of verses together. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now one of the first responses we see to this star of Bethlehem came from an interesting character. 
And his name was Herod. We're going to read more about him in just a minute. Now, Herod was quite the infamous fellow in history. He was actually an Edomite, a son of Esau, who had been appointed by the Roman Senate to the influence of Mark Antony. And so he was the king of the Jews appointed by the Roman government, if you could put it that way. He was not a rightful king. And so because of that, uh, especially in the latter years of his reign, um, he was very protective of his throne and skeptical of anybody who seemed to be a threat to his throne. Uh, to give you an example of how extreme he was, he had his own wife and her two brothers killed because he suspected them of treason that they weren't even guilty of. It was a man who was very defensive about holding his position. And history has a lot to tell us about him. Now, I find it interesting, and we studied the book of Genesis, there's a prophecy that Jacob gave in the book of Genesis about Jesus. It's in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. I believe this is in your notes. And here's what he said. He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Shiloh means the peaceful one. Until the peaceful one come, and unto him shall all the gathering of the people be. This is a fulfillment of prophecy because the throne had passed from a true Jewish king to a non-Jewish king. And here the Romans had made a non-Jew the king of the Jews. And the Bible says when that happens, Shiloh is going to come. And boy, when it did happen, that's when Jesus came. And I love it when the Bible, when, when we see Bible prophecy fulfilled. And so we see that at the time of Jesus' birth, Herod was the guy who's in charge. And it was somewhere around 4 B.C., most people believe. Herod was, about, uh, was, in, his, was, in, was in his about 35th year of his reign at this point in time. And uh, now, from what we've already discovered about Herod, how defensive he was and, and, and how willing he was to put people to death at the drop of a hat to be able to protect his own throne, it would be no shock to us then that when these foreigners come to Jerusalem, write to Herod, and they tell him, Where's the king of the Jews? Well, he's sitting there thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. Not though. And the wise men said, no, where's the real king? Where's the newborn king? And you imagine the shock and the horror that Herod had. Well, look at verse number three. Here's what the Bible says he did. The Bible says when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Old Herod was troubled. That means he was agitated. That means he was restless. That means he was upset. And when the inquiry of these wise men began to spread around town in Jerusalem, the Bible says that all the rest of Jerusalem was troubled with him. I think there's a particular reason for that. They knew what it was, what, what it was like for them when Herod got mad. Boy, they knew that as soon as Herod heard, hey, these wise men have come asking about a different king, they knew that was probably going to mean double oppression for them for a while. And uh, we see Herod did some crazy things after all this took place. And so we see these instances taking place. But what I want you to understand is that old Herod, he was threatened by the potential of a rival king. And so a response to this, we'll read more about this in a minute. Herod called for all the religious people in the land to come and help him figure out where the Jewish Messiah was supposed to be born. And, and they're all gathered together. And as they gather together, they immediately tell him, well, the prophecy says he's going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. When Herod heard about Bethlehem. He immediately began to devise a devious plan to have this child found and killed, albeit secretly. 
The Bible tells us in verse number 7, look at verse number 7. It says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again. Notice this, that I may come and worship him also. Now, Herod, one of those wise men to believe that he wanted to honor this king too. We know he had different motives, don't we? So Herod, he, he has this plan. But in all this, what I want you to see is that we see Herod, a man who when the light of Christ began to shine, chose to reject it. Chose to reject it. He was not interested in what the wise men had to tell him about this newborn king. Still to this day, still to this day, this is the response that many people have to the light that has been revealed about Jesus Christ. They want to reject it. They don't want to accept it. Our culture is hell-bent on stamping out Christianity. I think that you see it around just as much as I do. not politically correct anymore even to say something like, Merry Christmas. Um, in certain places and everywhere I go, people are wanting to tell me, happy holidays. Um, anything else but mentioning Christ in any way. And in some public schools, they'll not allow them to sing certain Christmas songs because they mention Jesus Christ. It's not politically correct to be a Christian. It's not politically correct to talk about Jesus. Everywhere you go, you'll meet people who tell you something like, well, I don't believe in all that Jesus stuff. There is a widespread voice people in our society are making to reject the light of Jesus Christ. So the apostle John wrote in John 1 and verse 10, Jesus was in the world and the world was made by him, yet the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. It happened when he came the first time and it's still happening today. Every day people are rejecting Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Why do the people of this world reject the truth of Jesus. And what's so bad about someone who loved us so much that he came to save us? Why do people want to reject the truth of Jesus? And I'll say much for the same reason that Herod wanted to reject the truth of Jesus because he was threatened by it. See, if Jesus is real, what that means is that he is a savior. And if a savior has truly been born, that means that all of us need to admit we're sinners in need of a savior. Jesus was who the Bible says He is, and that means He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And if Jesus is the true King, that means that you and I do not get to sit on the throne of our lives. That means we answer to a higher authority, and that is King Jesus. And so it's inconvenient for a world that is fixated on pleasing itself to admit the reality of Jesus Christ. And that's where Herod was at. And friend, that may be where you're at today too. Oh, you're, you say, well, I'm in church, aren't I? People come to church every week. I don't really believe it. Try to explain away what the Bible says. Well, it's just a, it's a collection of stories that, that we can learn some good things from, but I don't know that all of it's true. I hear people say these types of things to me all the time, but I'm going to tell you, it may, it may be a truth that uh, will inconvenience your life, but it's a truth that you need to accept, the reality of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus said, This is the sad condemnation of this old world. Light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. Why do people reject Jesus? Because they love darkness rather than light. 
Because to accept the truth of Jesus means they're going to have to reject some things about their own life that they don't want to give up. That's where Herod was at, and sadly, that's where, where many people are at still today. People reject Jesus because to accept the truth of Jesus would mean they must admit they are sinners in need of a Savior. They reject the truth of Jesus because to accept the truth of Jesus also means that they are not the rulers of their own lives, and they must bow before the one true King Jesus. I'll tell you this, you can choose to write Jesus off while you're walking this earth say oh it's just a fairy tale i don't know that that manger scene i don't know that all that was real you can choose to do it now there will still still come a day the bible says that every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess that jesus christ is lord you can reject him today but there will come a day and it'll be too late for you then by the way you will admit jesus is everything that the bible says that he is it'd be better just to go ahead and accept him today not putting it off that's your first response. You see, you can choose, as the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to you today, and choose to reject it. Sad reality is, many of you, Christmas after Christmas has gone by. Year after year. You hear the gospel year after year after year, and you still refuse to accept that you need this Christ that is being presented to you. Come to church for your wife. You may come to church for your family. Friend, you need to come for yourself. You need Jesus as your Savior. And I pray today be the day that you finally accept Him as your Savior. First response to Bethlehem star, to the light of Christ, you could choose to reject it. Number two, I want you to write this down. You can also choose to ignore it. You can choose to ignore it. Now let's go on in this passage of Scripture to verse number four. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse four, And when he, Herod, had, uh, uh, had gathered... Let me get my my thoughts here together. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Here's the second group we see. First, we saw Herod, the man who rejected, rejected the light of Christ. The next group we see is the religious crowd. Okay. The Bible there in verse four calls them the scribes and, and, and the chief priests, the chief priests among the chief priests would have been the actual high priest and all of those who had previously held the office of high priest. Those, those were the chief priests. And then the scribes were the teachers of Israel. They were men who had memorized the first five books of the Bible and they knew every, every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. And so what, we could, what, I think, what I think it would be safe for us to say is that this group was the most religious group of all the people in the world at that time. I mean, they knew their Bibles. They knew all, all the things that the, that the Bible had to teach. And if anybody knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born, Herod thought it's going to be these guys. I mean, they know all the, all the uh, biblical literature. And so he calls them all together. And, and when he calls these men together to find out from them where the Messiah was going to be born, they didn't even have to think about it. I mean, they already knew. They knew the Bible like the back of their hand, and without any hesitation, they directed Pilate to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And I want you to notice uh, what they told him. Uh, we'll read verses 5 and 6 here, but it's a prophecy from Micah 5 too. And this is what the Bible says in verse, verse number 5 of our text. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah... Art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. 
Now, this was a paraphrase that they uh, a paraphrase of Micah chapter five and verse two. I believe that Matthew took some liberty in reframing how he quoted this verse to emphasize how this prophecy had been fulfilled. And so it's a paraphrase of Micah 5 and verse 2. And these, these scribes and chief priests present this verse to Herod. And, and they revealed that the prophecy had said the Messiah was going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small town. And uh, so how many of you have ever been over to Israel before, maybe to Bethlehem before? Right? No, none of you here. I have not. I hope to, hope to go someday. Um, but Bethlehem was just a small town about six miles south of Jerusalem. I think we have a map of that here. And uh, not a very, very long journey uh, from Jerusalem to, to where, where Bethlehem was at. Uh, but it was a small town. And it was an unnoticeable town. Um, and uh, it had a lot of rich history as you study Israel's history. The first time we see Bethlehem showing up on the pages of Scripture is when Rachel, the wife of Jacob, died there and she's buried there. And a little while later, the next significant person we see show up in Bethlehem is a, a lady named Ruth. And uh, we love the story of Ruth. And Ruth's great-grandson was a guy, I dare say all of us know, is David. David the king. David was born in Bethlehem. And so in Jesus' day, when Jesus was born, Bethlehem would have been known as the city of David. It was where David had been born. And, uh, but even more significant of that, we know the, the true significance of Bethlehem lies in the fact of the king of kings was born there. Jesus Christ was born there. The name Bethlehem, it actually is a name that literally means house of bread. What an appropriate name for one to be born who is going to be known as the bread of life, Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus was born. And these, pro, uh, these uh, uh, scribes and chief priests, these religious leaders, they told Herod the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod turns around and tells the wise men privately, hey, they said you need to go look in Bethlehem, so go and look for him and then tell me when you find him. So the wise men head out off towards Bethlehem. But all of this, I've never thought of this before this week. All of this is unbelievable to me that these religious leaders... Mind you, the people who were supposed to be the ones watching for the Messiah, when they find out that someone's come and said, the Messiah is born, what do they do? They go with them? They didn't do anything. They just stood there. You see, the religious leaders who knew the scriptures that pointed others to the Savior, they wouldn't go and worship him themselves. It's a convicting thought. They were six miles from the Son of God. They wouldn't go see him. Horrible. A horrible testimony. Most religious people of that day, when the light of Christ began to shine, you know what they did? Just ignored it. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, And the light shined in the darkness. Darkness comprehended it not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. The light of Christ begins to shine, and the most religious people of that day don't care. They just ignore it. Can I say, this is the same position that so many people are in when it comes to the light of Christ. And I dare say, even Christians are so guilty of this thing that I'm about to talk to you about. The light of Christ has begun to shine, we ignore it. I've already got what I need from that. We get so busy about the hustle and bustle of this season. In the midst of all of our busyness, it's so easy to miss the reason for it all, isn't it? Let's be honest with each other. During the Christmas season that people struggle, I think the most, with remembering what it's supposed to be all about. 
It's not all about the presents. It's not all about the programs. It's not all about the, the parties. It's, it's all about Jesus. The reason we celebrate this season is because of the good news that Jesus Christ has come down into this earth to save people like us from our sins. And we know this here. But we forget this here. That's the difficult thing. Here's, to me, what is an even harsher reality. The people who most often choose to ignore the truth of Christ, the people who are the most acquainted with it, those religious leaders. People who don't really know a whole lot about Jesus, they can't really ignore the truth about him. They don't know it. And I sometimes chuckle at the fact that we rant and rave about our society and say, well, I just don't know why they won't keep Christ in Christmas. I don't even know Christ. You're getting mad at them. It's your job to keep Christ in Christmas. You'd rather blame Walmart. You'd rather blame somebody else. Most of this world truly doesn't know who Jesus is. You get mad at them for not knowing who Jesus is when we who do know who Jesus is so often are the ones who are most guilty of not taking time to acknowledge it. Shame on us. It cannot be said of your Christmas experience that that is where you're at. That is a harsh reality. During this season, most believers struggle just to do their devotions. Listen to me. So busy celebrating the season, ignore the Savior. Guilty of it. Uh, there have been many Christmases in days gone by, and I'm not proud of this. Many Christmases. I get to the end of the day, and I have to think, now oh, we'll have the time with our family in the morning. I have to think, have I really spent any time with the Lord? It's not wrong to celebrate with family. It's not wrong to have fun with the festivities, but we really can miss the point, can't we? I'll just take a step further, and you, some of you just have to put up with me for, for mentioning this, but you know Christmas is on a Sunday this year, right? At many churches, close their doors. Sunday. What's it all about? I thought it was about Jesus. I'll tell you, these doors will be open next Sunday. That many Christians, whatever reason, come. I'll tell you, it probably would have been a lot more convenient for the wise men to stay at home. Oh, we're glad Jesus was born. Let's open our presents. Had their gifts, you know. It would have been a lot more convenient for them to not to have to travel all the way they had to travel, but they did. Nobody else did, they did. What's your excuse? I know some of you got family who are coming into town and this is your one time a year you can get together and I understand all those things. Friend, you ought not just come up with any excuse in the world to keep you from honoring the one who this day is supposed to be all about. You say, well, pastor, you know Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. Yeah, I know that. What my family's going to do? We're going to celebrate Christmas on Saturday. We're going to be in church on Sunday. Yeah, well, you're the pastor. I know, okay? I encourage you to do the same thing. Now, I better move on before you all start getting mad at me, okay? Well, they didn't ignore what it was all about. Uh, the wise men didn't, but these religious people, they sure did, didn't they? By the way, the Bible still says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but to exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And friend, that's all I'm trying to do. When you, let's not forsake the assembly. Let's keep gathering together. And so my question for you is, are you going to ignore Jesus this season? Will you make him a priority? If you haven't been, it'd be a good thing for you to make that decision today. I said we're going to look at three ways you can respond to the light of Christ that began to shine at Christmas. First, you can reject it. Second, you can ignore it. The final way you can respond to it is you can follow it. You can follow it. Now, the third response we see comes from the people who we are the most familiar with, the wise men. Let's read about them again in verse number one. Hey, you're still with me. Say amen. We're making progress here. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Wise men. Now, who were these wise men? Well, uh, the Greek word that's used to describe them is a word that we often, uh, we often hear. It's a word called magi. These were a special class of knowledgeable men in eastern countries. We've been studying the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, this was that same class of people that were the astrologers and the magicians um, and, and all of those types of things that Daniel talks about. And uh, I think it's fascinating uh, to, to think about the connection here. Uh, these wise men were likely from Babylon or Persia. And uh, that we were the same wise men, uh, same type of wise men we hear about in the book of Daniel. And they had learned about the Messiah, the prophecies of the Messiah, no doubt from men like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who all, all foretold things about the Messiah. And part of me can't help but wonder, Daniel was put over all of the wise men, over all of the magi. And part of me can't help but wonder if Daniel had taught them the scriptures and it had been passed down from generation to generation to where when the Messiah actually came, when Daniel's 70th week or the 69th week actually came, that they were expecting it. They were expecting the Messiah to come. I don't know all of these things for sure, but I love thinking about those types of things. But regardless of how they knew about the Messiah, they saw this star show up in the sky and knew it was indicative of the Jewish king had been born. And what caught their attention was this star that they'd seen in the east. And so they began the journey to come and see this king of the Jews that had been born. Now, a lot of people have tried to scientifically explain the phenomenon of this star. And I've heard a lot of good arguments about what this star could have been. Some claim that it was a, a nova, the birth of a star that gets really bright for a short amount of time and then, and then begins to dwindle. Some have said it was a, a comet that came by during that, that particular year, like Halley's Comet. I'm not sure what it was. One person said that some think the light which the shepherds saw shining around about them the night after Christ was born was the very same which the wise men um, uh, who, uh, that was the very same that the shepherds saw on the night that Jesus was born. And so I don't know. I just tend to think that it was a literal star because that's what the Bible says. And I kind of fancy the idea that God created a special star just to point people to where Jesus was. You can have your opinions. I'll have my opinions about it. But regardless, what we do know is the fact that uh, the star was actually there and it was an extraordinary star that pointed them to an extraordinary person that had been born on that day. And so the Magi, they began to travel from the far eastern country. And if they came from Babylon, they traveled about 900 miles. If they came from Persia, it was closer to 1,300 miles all the way to Jerusalem, a journey that would have taken them four to six months that day and time. Wait, the uh, classic manger scene would not have been possible. I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, okay? Um, but there weren't, well, there weren't shepherds and wise men there. It didn't exactly happen that way. All of it's true. It just didn't happen altogether, okay? Because uh, it took them four to six months after Jesus was, Jesus was born to get there. And that's why the Bible says that they came and saw a young child instead of a baby. But they traveled all that way and they came. And what was the reason? What brought them all that way to see the newborn baby? They told us in verse 2. He said, we are come to what? Worship him. That word worship, proskuneo, it literally means to show homage to one. In the uh, 
Eastern countries and the Oriental culture, the way that they would do this is that they would get down on their knees. They would press their foreheads to the ground as a sign of reverence. Muslims many times will still do this in their religion, but that's what those men came to do. That's what they were indicating here. They didn't just come to give them gifts. They came to fall on their knees before this king, Jesus, show obedience to him. I've never done that for anyone except for Jesus in my times of prayer. I don't know if they'd done it for anyone else or not, but that's why they traveled all that way, is just to show honor, to show worship, to adore this great king that had been born. In the Old Testament, there was another foreigner who had traveled a great distance to come honor a king, and her name was the Queen of Sheba. She had come with gifts, and she had come to show honor to King Solomon. I'll tell you something, these wise men came to honor someone much greater than Solomon ever was. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 42. He said, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Is anybody who deserving of you setting everything in your life aside to show him reverence is Jesus. That's what the wise men did. And so when the Magi saw the light of Christ, their response was to follow it. Not to ignore it. Not to reject it. Their response was to follow it. They didn't know exactly where they were going. In fact, I, I, I know that to be true because the Bible later indicates that the star disappeared from them for a little while. And so they came to Jerusalem saying, hey, where's he at? And they got there and nobody knew what they were talking about. Imagine how surprised they were. Being the only ones to know about the one that's supposed to be the king, capital city where they went. So here they are, they're searching for him. They didn't know exactly where they were going, but they believed in what God had shown them and they chose to follow it at any cost. And let me tell you, this required faith. It required them to believe what they had been shown from the scriptures and what they had seen evidence of in the sky. And they believed it so strongly that when they got to Jerusalem, they didn't ask, notice this in verse 2, they didn't ask if the king of the Jews had been born. What did they ask? Where is he? Believed it. They, they, were, they were wondering if he was real. They knew he was real. They believed it, though they had never seen it. And by faith, they had put their feet to action following after this Messiah that had been born. And I'm going to tell you, your best response, your best response to the light of Christ is to follow after it no matter the cost. When Jesus called his disciples, told them to follow him, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 6 that they forsook all and they followed him. When you truly come to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, there is no cost too great. There is nothing more important in your life than following Jesus Christ. Nothing. You, if you're not careful, allow anything to get in the way of following Jesus. Allow family to get in the way. You will allow your job to get in the way. You'll allow your hobby to get in the way. You'll allow anything to get in the way. But the Bible tells us following Christ requires a decision of surrender and faith. Forsake all others to follow Jesus. By the way, you can have all the other stuff. It means nothing without Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? Lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hey, what is all that money? 
What is all that notoriety? What is all that success? What is all that you fill in the blank? What is it worth if when you die, you don't have Jesus and you don't live for eternity in heaven? Worth nothing. Absolutely nothing. You can't take it with you. Boy, the one thing that will matter for eternity is your relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder what your decision is going to be today. It comes to the light of Jesus Christ that has been revealed. And after the wise men got to Jerusalem, no doubt they were shocked that no one else knew about this newborn king. But when Herod told them they could find him in Bethlehem, no one else went with him. They said, we're going. We, we came this far. We're not stopping now. And so notice what happened in verse number, verse number 9. The Bible says, And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. As they followed the scriptures, and get this, I love this, went to Jerusalem because they'd seen the star, but the star had not been visible to them for some time. They'd lost sight of the star. When they got to Jerusalem, God used a pagan king to tell them what the Bible said. They heard what the Bible said, the Messiah is in Bethlehem. By faith, trusted what the scriptures said, and they started walking towards Bethlehem. And as they were walking, as they were following the scriptures, what did God do? Put that star back up in the sky. Oh, the Bible says they rejoiced when they saw that star. They followed that star, and the Bible says that star literally moved until it came right over the location where Jesus was at. Uh, you say, explain that to me. I can't explain that to you. By the way, most of the things that God does, I can't explain either, okay? Well, they rejoiced when, that, when they saw that star. It took some faith. You may not understand everything, what God's calling you to do, but if you'd be willing to trust what the Scripture's telling you, that you need to reject things that you've been holding on to, and you need to choose to follow after Jesus Christ, as soon as you take that first step, God will begin to give you a light. The Holy Spirit of God will begin to give you a light that will lead you right to Jesus Christ. It takes you following what the Scripture says and taking a step of faith, trusting in the, in the Word of the Lord. The Bible says that the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and God's Word can guide you right to where Jesus is. And like those shepherds rejoiced, they saw that light, they saw that star again. Friend, there's nothing that will bring you more joy in this world or in eternity the light of Jesus Christ when you choose to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John, these things have I written unto you that your joy might be full. You may not have a lot of joy today, won't find it always in your circumstances, but you can always find joy when you choose to follow the Savior. It'll happen every single time. So as we have studied this passage of Scripture, we've seen that God is still shining the light of His truth that will lead you to Jesus. The question for you is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to reject it again? Done that year after year, are you going to continue to reject Jesus? Ignore it. No attention this season. You like the wise men follow light of Christ. Cliche statement perhaps, but it's true nonetheless. Wise men still seek him. You would be very wise to do so. One more illustration and I'll be done. Earlier this fall, I had the opportunity to go elk hunting. And we were out one day elk hunting. And while we were out there, I was out there with Andy Loman. Many of you know Andy. There was two other guys that we were out with. And while we were out, um, we'd been out all day. And towards the end of the day, 
We were literally walking out to go back to the truck and go home. And Andy texted me and said, his buddy got one down. I thought, great. I also thought, great. <laughs> uh, those of you the hunters, you know exactly why I was thinking that. Of course, he had to harvest the animal down in a deep canyon. It was at the last part of the day, okay? The sun was literally going down, and so here we go, down into the canyon, looking after this thing. We find it, and we begin to harvest the animal. We get it all done, and, uh, and, and there were four quarters. Thankfully, there were four of us, and uh, uh, we, we all put a quarter of the meat on our backs, and of course, the guy who harvested the animal, his name was Jake, not from around here. He's a pastor from back east. He also had to carry the, the uh, antlers um, and the head. And uh, so he, he had the meat on his back, and he had the, uh, the, the head of the animal on his back as well, and uh, put all that on his pack. I mean, you're talking, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 pounds of meat uh, per quarter. All of that's on his back. Of course, he's not from around here, too, and if you haven't been around here, uh, the elevation will get to you. You know that, right? And, and so here we are. We're all, we're all walking up, and you know, we're, the rest of us were pretty used, pretty used to the area, and it was a, it was a taxing hike, uh, 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 make no doubt about it. I mean, we had a, it was about a two-mile hike out. We had to climb over 1,000 feet of elevation on part of that height, uh, part of that, on back on top of a mesa, and then go back down 1,000 feet on the other side. And so uh, we, we started making our way up, 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 the, up the mountain. It was cold that night. All the factors were there. And, of course, there was no trail down to where he was at, so we're pushing through oak brush with all of this weight on our back and huffing and puffing all the way up. But Jake was really struggling, really struggling. He's not from here, and he's a, he, he's, a, he's a fit guy, but it's just different with the elevation. And so we're walking up, and, of course, it's dark now. We have our headlamps on to help us be able to see. And uh, I'll be honest, me and the guy I was with, we got tired of waiting on Jake, so we just went on ahead. <laughs> uh, and we got up to the top of the mesa, and Jake told us after it was all over that this happened. He started going, and we, we got pretty far away ahead of where Jake and, and Andy were at. And he said he kept looking up. And every once in a while, I'd turn around and look and see where are they at, because I could see their light down there. And every time I'd turn around, he'd see my light. But he was hiking and was thinking, I'm never going to do this again as long as I live. <laughs> and you've been there, you know exactly what that feels like. And he said, one, he, said he was about at the point where he wanted to quit. He looked up. And he saw our light, and he, it was so far away. And Andy looked at him and said, we're almost there. He thought, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> we're not even close. And boy, he kept looking at that light, and it just seemed like it was getting farther and farther away. And all of a sudden, they get to the top. He realizes he was looking at a star. He was following the wrong light. We were a whole lot closer than he thought we were. I thought about that story, and I think about what we're preaching about today. It's so easy for us to follow the wrong light, get our eyes fixated on the wrong thing. If you get your eyes fixated on the wrong thing, you're going to feel a lot like Jake thinking, I just can't get it. it. seems like it's getting farther and farther away. There's no peace. There's no joy. Nothing. Weariness. When you get your eyes fixed on Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. Today, what I'm encouraging you to do is to get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. It's really what this message is all about. The light of Jesus has begun to shine. You have a choice to make as to what you're going to do with it. Will you reject it? Will you ignore it? Will you follow it? My prayer is that you will follow. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes together. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Follow the star. Lead you to Christ. What if you would say this morning, Pastor Bruce,